0: Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Faith is Based on Knowledge. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen.
1: Let's look over in 2 Peter chapter 1. And this is going to be a continuation of some things we started talking about last night. If you missed last night, get a tape. But we started talking about the fact that God has already given us His faith. And the faith you have is not your faith. Now, it belongs to you, but it is God's faith that's been committed unto you. You have the exact same faith inside of you that indwelt Paul, that indwelt Peter, that indwelt the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's the reason that Jesus said, The works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go unto the Father. It's because he, it's no longer us that lives, but Christ lives in us. He gave us His power. We use Ephesians 1... 17 where he said that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened that you may be able to see the hope of his calling and it said the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So the same power that God the Father used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that's been committed unto you. And man, when you begin to realize that you've got that kind of power and authority, I guarantee you something's going to give. No longer are you going to sit down and let the devil run over you and and do all this. You know the reason people come up with so many doctrines about, well, it's God that puts your sickness on you, that it's God that put trials and tribulations, it's God's will that you be sick, poor, that you be defeated, that you just learn how to roll with the punches. One of the basic motivations behind that kind of a doctrine is they're trying to justify their position of not having any power. Now, I don't mean that critical because I've been in that same situation and I did it, but I can promise you that after I've come out of it, that was one of the motivations behind it. I was trying to justify my situation so that I could live with it, Amen. amen, so that I wouldn't feel condemned. And so it's easy to just say, well, it must not be God's will. But once you begin to understand that God has committed unto you the same power, and the same authority that Jesus had, I guarantee you, it'll make you get rid of those kind of doctrines because you'll you'll start saying, well, if I've got the same thing Jesus said, praise God, I can start believing for the same results. And we ought to get hungry for that, you know what? Did you know there's a lot of people that are just satisfied on a mediocre life? And I don't believe that that's y'all. Because if it was, you'd go join a mediocre church, amen? You wouldn't be coming out, you wouldn't be driving from Cincinnati to go hear somebody if you were content with just going and putting in your one hour a week or something like that. You see, you've been stirred up to expect more. But did you know, even among Spirit-filled people, a lot of Spirit-filled people are stopping short today and they're stopping at just receiving part of what God has for us. We ought to get hungry, brothers and sisters, for more than what we see today. What we've experienced is great, and in comparison from where we've come from, it's tremendous. But in comparison to where we're supposed to be, we're still a long way short. We need to get so hungry and thirsty for righteousness that we'll never be satisfied until the married supper of the Lamb, amen? amen. I mean, that nothing, I don't care how many people you see healed or delivered, nothing's going to satisfy you until we reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ Jesus. Glory. We need to get stirred up on that. Anyway, that's what that'll do, is letting you see that you have the faith of God on the inside of you. If we've got the faith of God, we ought to be doing the works of God. And if I was to sit here and ask you today, how many of you believe, brother, we have the power and the anointing that Jesus had? Most of you, amen. But let me ask you this, how many of you doing the works that Jesus did? There wouldn't be near as many amens. Well, a person that says that they believe something and yet it's not believed enough that it's reproduced in their life, they don't believe it. Amen or oh me? I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm saying it to just prick you to let you understand that, brothers and sisters, we need to keep pressing until we start seeing the life of Jesus reproduced in us. Because that's available to us. That's what we're supposed to be. That's what a Christian is. Christian is a derogatory term that they used in the first century. They called them, you little Christians, you little Jesus. In other words, they were acting so much like Jesus, they associated it with Jesus, thinking that was a derogatory term. Man, that's a... That's a blessing, amen. Somebody call you a little Jesus. If somebody arrested you for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict any of you? Amen. Well, we ought to have the evidence. People ought to be able to look at us and see the life of Jesus on the inside of us. Well, one thing that'll do that is when you go to realizing that you've got the faith of God. If we've got the faith of God, let's use it. So how do you use it? What I'm sharing with you tonight is I believe one of the most profound things God's ever shared with me. And I've known some of these things for a long period of time, but it's only been within, say, a year and a half or two years that I've started bringing some of these things together and putting them in these exact words. And it's helped me, and it's blessed me. I believe that most of you, as we talk about these things tonight, it'll be things that maybe you've heard before, but maybe you haven't heard it put in this context to see how important it is to your faith. And when you learn this, I promise you, if you will take the things we've talked about and put them to practice in your life, it will literally revolutionize your life. It'll take the struggle out of the Christian life. And that's one thing, boy, that God has impressed on me a thousand times over, that the Christian life is not supposed to be a struggle. And I see so many people struggling. If you're struggling, something's wrong. Now, if you don't know what's wrong, keep struggling. Amen. Don't quit. But I'm saying don't be content with struggling. You need to realize, like Jesus said, that the life that I give you or the spirit that I give you will be in you a well of living water springing up unto everlasting life. That's a picture, brother, of an artesian well. I mean something that just bubbles up, that you couldn't dam it up if you wanted to. And yet most Christians, a well springing up isn't the best way to describe them. A lot of Christians, the best thing that describes them is one of these old pumps, you know, that you used to get and just pump and pump and pump. You'd have to pump a lot and then you'd have to prime the thing and every once in a while you get a little squirt out of it. About the time the water starts coming at you are tired and you have to quit and you lose all your suction power, <laughs> amen. <laughs> that's the way a lot of Christian lives are, man. I mean, we've got to work ourselves up and work up and just about the time we begin to start seeing some results of it, you get tired and, and all of a sudden you lose everything you've got. And that's the way a lot of Christians are, They're just forced. But the Bible says it's supposed to be springing up unto everlasting life. So, some of these things that we're sharing, I promise you, will give you keys about why things have not worked better than what they have and about how to get them functional. Out of 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them, that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this is a scripture we used last night. We've got like precious faith with Peter. Peter didn't have more faith than what I've got. All of us have been given the measure of faith, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 3. I have the same faith that was in Peter when he walked along and that his shadow touched people and that they were raised up and people came off of sick beds and demons were cast out of people. You have that same faith that Peter used to raise darkness from the dead. Amen. You have the same faith that Peter used on the day of Pentecost when he preached and 3,000 souls were saved. You have the same faith when he grabbed that man by the hand at the gate of the temple and lifted him up and said, Walk, and 5,000 people were born again. You have the same faith that enabled him to stand before Caiaphas and all of them and say, You judge yourself. Which is better? Should we obey God or man? Boldness, Amen. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Amen. They could tell that all these guys, they're acting just like that guy we just crucified. They, they recognized Jesus in them. And, Paul, and Peter said that we have like precious faith with him. And then he begins to tell us how to get that faith operative. In verse 2 it says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, this is really important. This is just the introduction to this chapter, but you need to understand that these words aren't in there just wasting space. Boy, there's a powerful lesson to learn in this. Grace and peace is multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people today that are seeking peace. I believe that basically every person in here, one of the reasons you're here, you may not have put it into words tonight, but you're here because you desire peace in your heart. There's turmoil. Satan fights you with things and praise God, you know that Jesus is the answer and you're here seeking to be at peace with God, at peace with yourself, to have victory over problems and things that fight you. I have people that come to our services and want me to pray for them that they'll get peace. You don't pray for peace. The Bible doesn't tell you. To pray that God will give you peace. We used this last night out of Galatians 5.22 that the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. It's a fruit to be produced. It's your nature. It's something that's supposed to be just bubbling up out of you. It's a part of the life that God's committed unto you. You don't have to pray for peace. And any of you that are sitting here having turmoil and struggling in your life and you're desiring God to give you peace, you see, you're going about it the wrong way. God's already given it to you. How do you release it? That's the proper way to approach the thing. How do you release the ability of God and get the peace of God functional in your life? Well, this scripture right here says that it's not through having somebody lay hands on you and pray for it. It says it is not in coming to church. Now, coming to church is important, but coming to church isn't going to give you peace. I can show you lots of people who go to church don't have peace. Reading the Bible isn't going to give you peace. Amen? Not unless you take the Word and put it on the inside of you and do the things that it says. But you see, we've tried to find all of these gimmicks. People continue, are trying to buttonhole me. A lot of ministers, when they minister, and I'm not knocking this, okay, because it helps people retain what they say, but they always got steps to everything they do, step one through eight or whatever, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that, but many people have become so conditioned to have steps to thing that they're just wanting something mechanical that they can operate. Give me a step. Give me something to do. You know, give me anything mechanical that I can do. Don't tell me just to seek the Lord. They want to do anything see, except seek the Lord. But some things, brother, you just can't give step one, two, three, four, five, and like that. A person just has to get before God, and there's no substitute for seeking God. Nobody steps or anything else. And people are always wanting something that they can do for peace. This right here says that grace and peace is multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Savior. Jesus Christ and there is no exception to that if you're gonna want peace in your life you've got to get the knowledge of God functional on the inside of you I'm not talking about knowledge about God but you're gonna have to reach a place where your mind is stayed upon God Isaiah 26 3 says the Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusteth in him so anybody here doesn't have perfect peace I mean God's kind of peace If you're believing for finances, if you're believing for a job, if you're believing for healing, if you're believing for anything, and if there isn't perfect peace in your heart, you know where the problem is? That your mind isn't stayed upon God. That your mind isn't stayed upon the knowledge of God. Now, you may think, oh, but brother, it's this other problem, or it's this or that, but that's what the Scripture says. The Lord will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon him. If you don't have perfect peace, your mind didn't stayed upon God. Now, your mind might be stayed on things about God, but it's not stayed upon God. There's a man in Omaha, Nebraska, that has a TV station there. And he's just in the process of getting his TV station on the air. And he was listening to us on the radio one day, and I was talking about meditating the Word of God, which is similar to the things we're talking about. Meditation is keeping your mind stayed on the truths of the Word of God and going over and over. And as I was talking about it, you know, the Bible says that if you meditate in this book of the law day and night that you observe to do according to all that is written therein, then you shall make your way prosperous and then you shall have good success, Joshua 1.8. And I, and I was ministering on the radio and saying there is no exception to that. If you are meditating in the word day and night, you are prosperous and you are having good success. And if you aren't prosperous and if you aren't having good success, you are not meditating on the things of God anyway, this guy got mad. I mean, he got real mad because, I mean, he was seeking God with everything he had. He said he turned the radio off and he just got really upset with me because he sat there and says, I'm thinking on the things of God. And he just rejected that. And anyway, later on, that was early in the morning. And later on that day, as he was driving along, he was upset over his financial situation. It looked like Satan was coming against the ministry and trying to stop it and anyway as he had been praying he prayed all day long from the time he heard that radio program till late in the afternoon he spent all day praying but all of a sudden the Lord opened up his understanding and he says Lee what are you praying about he was praying about the problem He had been praying the problem and meditating and going over and over the problem. Now, he was talking to God about it. He was talking about it to God, but he wasn't praying the answer. He didn't really have his mind stayed upon God and upon God's answer and upon the knowledge of God that God had given him to overcome that thing. He had been praying, but he had been praying his problem all day long. You all understand that? And he'd been before God all day long saying, Oh God, look at this situation. And what are we going to do? And thinking about the situation. And thinking about the situation. And finally the Lord showed him. He says, You haven't been meditating on me. You've been meditating on the problem all day. Just exactly what we were saying. And anyway, he finally said, whole me. And he agreed with the Lord and he turned it around and he began to start thinking about the Lord and about the answer and instantly he began to start seeing his finances turn around and things were completely changed and brothers and sisters there may be some of you say but brother I don't think in sin and I don't go out here and I don't look at pornography and I don't do this and I don't do that that may not be your problem but what is your mind stayed upon you can even be stayed on good things about God Do you know people that work in this ministry, I know this from a fact in my own life and the life of the staff that we have working for us, you can get so involved in the technicalities of changing the light bulbs and making sure that everything's working and cleaning the deal and keeping the books and making sure that everybody's here. You can be involved totally in God's work and not keep your mind stayed upon God. There's a difference. And so when I'm talking about that you have to have the knowledge of God on the inside of you, I'm not talking about that you you are out here living in sin, but I'm saying that you can sit there and have your mind filled with vanity. You can have your mind filled with things round about God and yet not be really zeroed in on the knowledge of God. The promise is that if your mind is stayed upon Him, you'll be in perfect peace. Anybody that doesn't have perfect peace tonight needs what we're talking about. You need to go back and get your thinking stayed upon God. An example of what we're talking about is in the economy today. A lot of people are bothered by the economy. And a lot of people are beginning to try and hold back and to do this. And they aren't going to step out and believe God. They wouldn't expand. They wouldn't do this. They wouldn't do that. Because fear of what the economy is doing. Well, the Lord brought forth a prophecy in one of our meetings about two and a half years ago. And this really helped me. Because what the Lord said... He said that all you see happening today is a fulfillment of my word. I said that I'd take the wealth of the ungodly and lay it up for the just. He said that the ungodly are losing control of the world's finances, and it's coming to the just. But what's happening... But you see, what's happening is the news media isn't reporting the prosperity that's coming to the believer, all they're doing is reporting the panic that's happening to the unbeliever because they're losing control of the finances. Right, yeah. They aren't telling you about the CBN network that operates on a budget of, I don't know, a $20 million a month or whatever. Oral Roberts has to have $8 million a week to keep in operation. They aren't telling you about all that kind of prosperity. I mean, things are being done today, brothers and sisters, that could not possibly have been done 10 years ago. Where's all the finances coming from? God doesn't counterfeit United States currency. God isn't making money. That's, that's dishonest. God's not going to make that money. Where is it coming from? It's coming from the ungodly. It's coming out of Wall Street. It's coming out of all of these great people that have been reservoir of the devil, hoarding all of the financial system. They're losing it. And they don't know where it's going. But I do. Amen. It's going to the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, you see, if you'll take that kind of knowledge and you can go to the Word of God and verify that that's an exact principle that's listed in the Word of God. Now, if you're thinking that way, every time you hear a bad report about, oh, the interest rate's going up and it looks like recession and it looks like depression and it looks like this and that, if you take the knowledge we just shared and then look at the facts, you feel like shouting, amen. You feel like, well, praise God, if they're in recession, I know where it's going, amen. And you can get excited about it. But, If you don't have that knowledge of God, and if the only knowledge you're filling yourself with is the knowledge that the carnal people are saying and what the world is reporting, you must operate in fear because that's what that knowledge generates. You can't act above your knowledge. Now you need to understand how your mind works. You cannot act in something above your knowledge. The Lord said this in many different places. Proverbs 29, I believe it's verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. In other words, where you haven't been able to grab a vision or wrap your mind around something, get a mental picture and understanding of what's happening, you'll perish. You've got to have a vision. God's got to reveal knowledge to you before you can operate on something. Like one of the examples that I use, you know, is a a water blivet. When I was in the army, we used to use water blivets. And if I was to ask you to go get me some water from a water blivet, most of you in here would just give me a blank stare because you don't know what a water blivet is. How are you going to act on something if you don't know what it is? You see, you can't do that. Can everybody relate to that? If I told you right now to go give me some water from a water blivet, most of you would be totally at a loss of what to do because you don't know what a water blivet is. You'd have to go find out, look it up or do something or ask somebody who's in Vietnam that's been around those kind of things to be able to understand what I was asking you to do. Okay? But now if I told you what a water blivet is, just a real simple explanation, they came in 500-gallon sizes and 1,000-gallon sizes. They're just big old black uh, cylinder-looking things that were made out of rubber that were filled with with water, drinkable water, and they'd fly them in by helicopters. It had a spigot on one end, and as you let the water out, the air pressure from the outside would collapse the things. and when it got empty, they'd haul it off. Now, that's not a real good explanation, but anyway, it gives you some kind of a picture. See, I've explained it. I've imparted some knowledge unto you, and if you came across one of those now, you could act on it. Everybody follow what I'm saying? You can't act on anything you don't have knowledge of. Even though you have the life and the faith of God on the inside of you, if you don't have God's knowledge about the economy, then you will function on the knowledge that you do have. You will function on the world's knowledge. You'll operate in fear. And then you'll have somebody stand up in the pulpit and say, you shouldn't be afraid, you ought to believe God. And so you get convicted and say, I ought to believe God. God's my source. But you don't have knowledge about what's happening. See, you don't know have the knowledge to put what's happening in the world into perspective. And until you get that knowledge, brothers and sisters, you can't operate on it. Grace and peace are directly tied to your knowledge. If the knowledge that is in you is the knowledge of the world, you're in trouble. And this is exactly where the Christian realm has been. We've been ignorant concerning the things of God. We've been wise concerning the things of the devil. We've filled ourselves with the knowledge of the devil. And that's the reason that it's so easy to operate in the devil's system and it's so hard to operate in God. Did you know for a believer it ought to be easier for you to operate in God's system than in the world? Did you know it ought to be easy to believe God and it ought to be hard to disbelieve God? And yet I can say that most Christians wouldn't feel that way. Most Christians feel like that whatever your first reaction is, do the opposite, and that's God. You ever heard people say that? Boy, if that's so, that's because you've got an unrenewed mind, and you haven't filled yourself with the knowledge of God. You can renew yourself to the point that, praise God, your first reaction is God, amen. The only knowledge you've got on the inside of you is God's knowledge. We can do that brothers and sisters. Grace and peace is multiplied unto us through the knowledge of God. If you are lacking peace, it's because you have not kept your mind stayed upon God and upon God's promises, upon God's things. You've been listening to the world and operating the world the way the world talks about. Out of Hebrews chapter 12 Verse 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God the Father. It says, Let us consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you also be wearied and faint in your mind. Have any of you ever felt weary? Amen. Don't raise your hand. Anybody ever felt weary? Any of you ever felt like fainting in your mind? You know where the problem is? You didn't consider Jesus. The word consider means to take into account, to think upon, to dwell upon. It says, consider him lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. If you're feeling weary, if you're feeling like fainting, you have not kept your mind stayed upon God. It's simple. Well, the things we're talking about tonight are so simple that we've had to have somebody to help us to misunderstand them all this time. Amen. I mean, it's just simple. You think God's Word and brothers and sisters, you're going to get God's Word. Proverbs chapter 22, I believe it's verse 7, says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The way you think is the way you're going to be. How are you? Are you well? Or are you sick? If you're sick, did you know you've been thinking sick? Now, I know sometimes people get condemned by the things I say. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I love you. If you'll stick with us, we're going to edify you and build you up. But first of all, you've got to see you need. Amen. First of all, you've got to know that, brothers and sisters, if there's a problem, it's not God that missed it. I tell you, the things of God are simple. There's nothing hard about it. It's just very simple. If we got problems, it's because we've been thinking problems. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now, you may not have been thinking, well, I want cancer. I want cancer. You may not have been thinking that way, and so some people say, Brother, I didn't want this cancer. I didn't ask for it. But did you know that the Bible says, out of James chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. If you've been thinking strife, if you've been dwelling in strife, if you've operated in anger and been dwelling in anger, did you know that you opened up the door to every evil work? Cancer is an evil work. You're opening up the door to cancer. You're opening up the door to heart attack. You're opening up the door to financial problems. You're opening up the door to anything. Now, you may not have said, Cancer, come get me. But we have knowingly dwelt upon strife and upon other things. And it's because we have been thinking in Satan's realm that Satan has got dominion in our life. There's no exceptions to it. Amen? Right. not everybody's in that but that's true anyway praise God that's the truth did you know that even medical doctors today are saying that they are proving that over, fit, over 90% and I've heard some estimates as high as 95-98% of all sickness and disease is emotional related now that's not to say that it's psychosomatic When people say that something's psychosomatic, they mean that there is no physical problem. It's all just a mental. You just think you've got a problem. Give you a sugar pill and it'll heal it. No, that's not true. Cancer is a real problem. It's a physical problem, but it's it's caused by emotional things. Like take, for instance, colitis. If any of you ever heard of colitis, that's where people have problems in their colon and they correct it by going in and taking out part of the uh, colon and things like that. It's not functional. So by surgery, they remove part of it. Colitis and medical doctors agree with this colitis is caused by stress upon a person What actually happens is God made the physical body to function so that when you get in an extremely dangerous or fearful position Your body will immediately go to produce an adrenaline and other hormones The purpose of it is to give you the ability to either fight or run Amen (laughs) <laughs> Adrenaline swells the blood vessels to your muscles and it shrinks the blood vessels to your stomach to your intestines and to things like that. Uh, parts of your body that you don't have to use to fight And it, preta- it prepares you to either do something supernatural Or to get up and run, amen Like I saw on TV one time A man who had a heart condition And was told not to exercise or do anything And as he got out of his car A little boy was playing in some pipes Rolled down a hill and pinned him under one of these huge pipes And this man, before he thought about it, went over there And he just got excited and lifted that pipe up And this little girl that was with that boy Pulled him out from under there and saved his life And they came out and interviewed him later and they tried to get three men who were in good condition to lift that pipe and three men couldn't lift that pipe. And yet here's a 50 or 60 year old man that had heart trouble and wasn't supposed to do anything. He just lifted that thing like there was nothing to it. He went back over and tried to lift it and couldn't budge it. And the doctor said that it was because adrenaline was flowing. Adrenaline gives you that supernatural ability because it puts all of the energy of the body to the muscles and takes it away from your intestines, from your stomach, and things like that. Now, that's good if the problem is resolved, amen. You either fight and win or you get killed and it's over with, praise God. (laughs) And the problem is resolved in short order. But today people are having those same kind of reactions through stress. Stress is fighting against people and because they're keeping their mind stayed upon the things of the world, fear is coming upon them, they're having stress stimulate their hormones and adrenaline is being produced and it doesn't go away in a day's time, it doesn't go away in a week's time or a month. Some people live under continual stress and turmoil and what happens is the blood vessels to the intestines stay shrunk And that's what they call colitis. And you go in and cut it out, and it is nothing but a stress-related disease. And doctors are saying that over 90% of things, even cancer, is being cured today. And there are documented cases of cures of people that they turned around and started resisting stress in their life. And brothers and sisters, there's no reason that a believer ought to have any stress because the Bible says he'll keep us in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him. The reason believers are coming under that is because we aren't keeping our mind stayed on God. We've come into the same trap that the world is. We just let the knowledge of the world dominate us. We watch the same soap operas, the same junk and filthiness and perversion on TV. We go to the same source to get your news that the world goes. You listen to the same junk at work. Man, it'll kill you. It'll destroy you. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's not that you don't have the life of God. You do have the life of God, but the life of God has to go through your brain. The Spirit has no direct access to the physical realm. If this Bible's laying right there, and if I want to move that Bible and pick it up, did you know my spirit has no right or privilege to touch that Bible? My spirit is a spirit. John chapter 3 says, That which is born of the spirit is spirit, and that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and never the twain shall meet. That's my own little interpretation, but that's true. The flesh is flesh, and the spirit is spirit. They are not the same. The bridge between the physical realm and the spiritual realm is the soul. The soul can operate in the physical realm or it can operate in the spiritual realm or it can operate in both at the same time. Your soul is an important part of you. It can go back and forth. If my spirit wants that Bible picked up, it's got to get my brain in gear and tell my brain to do something with this body and this physical body has to pick that thing up. A spirit doesn't have any right to go over there and move that thing. Somebody says, Brother, what about the occult? In the occult, they can levitate tables and they can move things without a physical body touching it. No, a physical body is still involved because to do that you've got to have a medium sitting there with their soulish man releasing all of these words and speaking these things and doing something. A soul is still involved. Satan can't do anything in the physical without some physical body and soul submitting to him. Same thing as God. God can't do anything in this physical earth unless somebody submits to him. Well, that's a whole other teaching. I wish I could had time to get off on that. (laughs) Some people think Brother, God can do whatever he wants to. That's not true. You know, my son got in trouble in his Christian school because he's he's behind in Bible from all the rest of them. Here's the preacher's kid behind in Bible. (laughs) And the reason is because he knows more Bible than that dumb book does. Like they had this one question, God can do, and then they had a blank. And one answer was nothing, and the other answer was anything. And Joshua knew better than that. He says, neither one of those are right. He wasn't going to get tricked on that, praise God. Because the Bible says God can't lie. Amen? Hebrews chapter 6, it says He can't change. He can't violate His Word. He's magnified His Word above all of His name. There's certain things God can't do. He can't become a liar. Amen? Amen? So you see, he was just understanding the Word better than the people that wrote the book. There's certain things God can't do. God committed certain power and authority unto us. Anyway, I'm getting off the subject. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. That's what we're talking about. It's not being conformed to this world the way it thinks and stuff. Well, how do you keep from being conformed? Being transformed by the renewing of your mind That you may prove what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God If you want to get out of the world's way of thinking You've got to transform yourself by the renewing of your mind Your spirit's already received the life of God But your brain doesn't know it And until your brain knows it Your brain is the central control of your system It's the master control You are going to be what you think As a man thinks in his heart, so is he now, brothers and sisters, if you're thinking the way the world thinks, although you've got the life of God on the inside of you, the world's going to dominate you. And this has been the problem. See, we've been... I'm still back in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. We've been wanting grace and peace, but we've been thinking doubt and unbelief. We've been thinking fear. We've been meditating the way the world thinks, and we say, God, why don't I have grace and peace? Because you've been thinking fear. You've been thinking stru- struggle, turmoil. You've been listening to everybody else. If you plant your crops and it rains and rots it, don't go listen to the other farmers talk about all of the bad luck they're having. Go to the Word of God, amen, that your seed won't rot. That God will bless your field And you think nothing but God's word And I guarantee you God will resurrect that seed if he has to Amen. Charles Caps did that Amen. Charles Capps man Everybody else seed rotten Charles Capps resurrected that seed from the dead Speaking life over it Praise God And he had a crop and nobody else did You know why? The Bible says in Romans 8 6 To be carnally minded Carnally minded doesn't mean sinful minded Now sin is carnful, carnal okay But not everything that's carnal is sinful. Carnal means of the five senses, what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. If you plant your crop and if it rains, the natural laws tell you that thing's going to rot. That's not sinful to think that, but that's carnal knowledge. If you've got a covenant with God, you can choose to think carnally, think what the natural laws say, and if that's what you think, that's the way it'll be. Or you can choose to think God's way, and you can sit there and say, No, sir, whatever I set my hand unto is blessed. Amen. 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 Then I'll sow and reap a hundredfold in the same year. Praise God. If all you think is spiritually minded, Romans 8, 6, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If all you think is spiritually minded, that's Word of God minded, all you can have is life and peace. That's all you can have, brothers and sisters. If you're having any other results other than life and peace, guess what? You had not been spiritually minded. Am I condemning you? No, I'm saying that, man, that's, that's not to condemn you. That's just saying this has been where the problem is in. We haven't kept our minds stayed upon God. This is a lifestyle. The Bible says the just shall live by faith, not just release a little squirt of faith, not come to church and get everybody to pray over you one time. You're going to have to enter into a relationship where you think, meditate day and night, the Word of God. Psalms chapter 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And if he meditates day and night, then the next verse says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Now, a lot of us want verse 4 or verse 3 where we prosper, but we aren't willing to meditate day and night. We've got to get to the point where our mind is stayed upon him. And then as you think in your heart, you will be. We simply haven't been filling ourselves with the knowledge of God. Let's go on. Man, I'm not getting very far. This is all introduction. We're fixing to get on the main thing we're after here, okay? Verse 3 says, According as His divine power. The word according means in proportion to or to the degree of. That's what the dictionary says. It says according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us the glory and virtue. And then verse 4 shows us that the knowledge of him are these exceeding great and precious promises. The word of God is the knowledge of him. It's the wisdom of God. Luke chapter 11, Jesus quoted Old Testament scripture and he says as also said the wisdom of God. And then he quoted the Old Testament. The word of God is the wisdom of God. It's the knowledge of God. So, all things that pertain unto life and godliness are given unto us through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. Now, you've already received the life of God. Your spirit man's already complete. You've already got all the healing power on the inside of you that you'll ever have. You'll never get any more, God. You'll never get any more anointing. You'll never get any more anything, amen. Now, I've had people prophesy to me that you're going to enter into a double anointing. Things like this. Well, I receive those prophecies because I understand what they mean is I'm going to enter into operating in twice the anointing that I've operated in before. But the truth is, brothers and sisters, that when I got called, I got anointed. And I'm not going to get anointed again. I'm already anointed. Now, I may operate more of that anointing. It may double and triple. It's not that the anointing's doubling and triple. It's that I'm getting twice as good, amen, as operating in the things that I was before. Everybody follow that? I've already got the life of God right here, but it's going to be released directly proportional to the knowledge that I have. And herein lies the problem. Boy, this has set me free. This has turned me on because I used to think, God, why don't you do something? Now I know why God doesn't do anything. Amen? It's because I'm so piddling ignorant. And I found out where the problem was. I get in the Word of God and I renew myself and praise God. I can start seeing the power of God released. I found out that God wasn't my problem. I found out that my ignorance was my problem. And praise God, I can do something about my ignorance. Amen? Amen. I'm not stupid. There's just some things I don't know, and I can get in the Word of God, and I can learn, praise God, and so can you. And when God showed me this, I mean, I started digging in the Word of God. And I can truthfully say that now things that I used to struggle over are easy, not because there's a lot more faith. It's the same faith that I was using back then, brothers and sisters. But now I've got so much more knowledge about how that faith works. And I've learned so much that I'm so much more confident in it. There's just not the fear. There's not as many avenues that Satan has against me. And things are working freely today, whereas they used to be struggles. I'm growing and increasing in the knowledge that God has given to me. And so it says everything that pertains unto life and godliness is given unto us through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. As you learn the knowledge of God, then it's easy to believe him. I believe that your faith is directly proportional. It's tied to your knowledge. One reason we're having so much trouble releasing faith is because we don't know God well. Like, for instance, before we came into the truth and we were back in a denomination and we believed that God was the one that killed your children. God was the one that knocked these people down. God's the one that put poverty on you. God's the one that made you sick to teach you something. If you believe that, did you know that gives you a warped impression of God? It gives you an impression of God that he's an ogre, that he's mean, that he's cruel, that he's strict. And it makes you want to kind of stay away from it. Now, with that kind of knowledge, there is no way that faith is going to flow freely. Because you may say, Well, I know God's got power, but I don't know if He'd do it for me. Why don't you know if He'd do it for you? Well, because I haven't been good enough. I haven't done this. See, we were taught that God had a conditional type of love. God loves you as long as you're good, and when you aren't good, God's mad. That's not true. That is not true. God doesn't impute sin unto you. Man, I wish I had time to get on that. We may do that before it's over with, praise God. But see, that's the problem. A lot of people think that way. And if that's the kind of knowledge you have, it's hard to trust somebody that you aren't sure is on your side. Amen. Now, I know all Christians say, Brother, I believe God loves me, but you believe He loved you so much that you're afraid He's going to kill your children to teach you something. That's not real love, amen. You see, we had a warped impression. And as you begin to find out that God wasn't your problem, that God loves you, immediately faith just began to flow. You begin to start believing for more and more. You begin to expand and reach out and begin to see things happen because you learn that it was not God's nature to be against you, that God was for you. Amen? You all following this? Let's take an example about Abraham. This blesses me because Abraham... I look back at Abraham's life and I see how that he's the father of faith unto all of us is what the scripture says. And then it also says out of Matthew chapter 11 verse 11, it says, John the Baptist was the greatest man that was ever born among Old Testament days, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven, that's talking about me, is greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was greater than Moses, than Elijah, than Abraham, than Enoch. All of those guys all rolled into one, and I'm greater than all that. Amen. Amen. So are you. If you're the puniest saint that ever breathed, amen, he that's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. So I saw all of that. But I saw me struggling and I saw Abraham just, I mean, walking in the power of God. And Abraham receiving these miracles and doing all of these things. And I got to wondering, how come, if what I've got greater than what Abraham had, how come it seems like Abraham saw some greater manifestations of things than what I've seen? Well, it's all tied to this same thing that we're talking about, the knowledge, what he thought upon. Let's look over here in Romans chapter 4 and I'll show it to you. You can see this in these passages of Scripture. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. It says, Who against hope believed in hope. This is speaking about Abraham. And when he received the promise of having his son, Isaac. It says, Who against hope believed hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken so shall thy seed be the word so shall thy seed be that was a scripture that was his promise that was his written word God spoke to him and says if you can count the stars that are in the sky or the number of grains of sand on the seashore then so shall your seed be that was God's word to him And he meditated on God's word day and night. According to that which was spoken, so shall I see me. Five words. But man, he meditated on that and he meditated on it day and night. And that's what he based his faith on. And it says, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. The word consider means to take into account, to think upon, to rely upon. He did not take into account the fact he was 99 years old when God spoke to him that he was going to have a child. Now, most of us think, Oh, Abraham, what a great man of faith to sit there and look at the situation and see how impossible it was and still believe God. Abraham didn't think of the situation. Abraham, now, y'all take this in context, okay? Don't get upset with me. Abraham wasn't all as, as hot a believer as what we think. I mean, the guy sat there and was going to renounce his wife and let Pharaoh take her in and commit adultery with her to save his own neck. He went into Hagar and had a child that God never intended him to. Now, I mean, Abraham did some dumb stuff, amen. Now, I'm not against Abraham. He's a brother. I love the guy. And I mean, he could say a few things about me, too. But I'm just saying <laughs> that Abraham was human and Abraham made mistakes, It wasn't that Abraham just had this great faith that overcame all of his fears. He didn't have any fears because he had disciplined himself to such a degree. He didn't think about the fact that he's 99 years old. Never occurred to him that he was too old to have a child. That's what this said. He considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't look over at Sarah and say, God, have you looked at Sarah lately? Have you seen Sarah? She's pushing 90 years old, and she's going to have a child. He didn't consider those kind of things. And brothers and sisters, if you don't consider those things, Satan can't tempt you with them. Satan tempts you with your carnal knowledge. Did you know the Bible says, so then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Romans chapter 10 says, how can they believe on him whom they have not heard? The answer is they can't. You cannot believe without hearing the Word of God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says, "...being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, by the Word of God that liveth and abideth forever." You had to hear the Word of God to be born again, because the Word of God had faith in it, and you had to grab hold of God's faith to be able to get saved. You can't get saved without God imparting the knowledge to you about how to get saved. Now, that's established fact through the Word of God. So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Well, on the other side of the coin, doubt and unbelief also comes by hearing. You can't get doubt and unbelief. It's not born in you.
0: Amen.
1: Now, brothers and sisters, I could get into a big theological discussion, okay? But I'm just saying this. That you are born with a capacity for sin But you have to be taught well how to sin You have to be taught to be prejudiced Did you know it? You know, I was raised in a home that, man, we didn't care any difference between whites and black. My favorite person when I was a kid was a uh, black lady that was a maid for us. Nobody could touch me and pull my teeth but this black lady, amen. I mean, I I was just dogmatic about that. I was nearly grown before I found out there was people that had prejudice over stuff like that. I wasn't taught that. You got to be taught prejudice, did you know it? God doesn't make you prejudiced. You have to be carefully taught that kind of stuff. You have to be taught to operate in strife and hatred and things like that. Now, you have a capacity for it, and I guarantee you, you get around it a little while and you can pick up on it, but you were taught it. I can show you our children. When Joshua was three years old, he'd never been around strife. He didn't know that you're supposed to fight people over your toys. We were around adults. He didn't have many kids to play with, and all of the adults loved him and always just treated him the way it's was supposed to be. And he was three years old at Christmas when he got around his relatives, and they started taking things from each other and hitting each other and, you know, yelling at each other, I'm going to kill you for taking this thing away. Josh had never heard that, and I watched him. And he just was shook for the first couple of days. He just stood there stunned. But after two days, he learned, amen, amen. <laughs> And when they took something away from him, he took it right back and said, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Three years old before he ever operated in strife over anything. And I can tell you exactly where he got it from. He was taught it. That's not that natural inside of a child. That has to be instilled in them. Greed and selfishness and anger. You don't have moods that you're born with. You were taught all of those moods. You were trained those things. That's the way that you were taught to react to things. And that's the way you did it. Amen. Well, there's a lot of good things could be said about that. But anyway, the point that I'm saying through this is that those things aren't natural for you to be that way. You were taught to do that. Satan comes at you through knowledge just the same as God works in your life through knowledge. And that's a blessing because if you cut off Satan's knowledge, you can cut off Satan's temptation. Now, it's one thing to know how to overcome temptation. Praise God for knowing how to overcome temptation. But the better way is to not even get tempted. Amen. Amen. That's right. And did you know most Christians don't even know that you can keep from getting tempted? You can. You can reach a point to where Satan isn't even tempting you over things. Amen. Some of you are looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. <laughs> Let's look over here at Hebrews chapter 11, and I'll show this to you. Hebrews chapter 11. This is talking about Abraham, Enoch, Noah, and all of these guys. And in verse 14 it says, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. He says, if they had been mindful, that's talking about their mind, if their mind had been full of the country that they came out of, they would have had opportunity to have returned. This scripture links opportunity to go back on the promises of God, or temptation is linked directly to what you're mindful of. You see that? God gave Abraham a promise to leave Ur of the Chaldees, go out into a land that he would afterward receive. Abraham thought on the promise. He kept that promise in front of him. Abraham kept seeing millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of descendants living in that land. That's what he thought on. That's what he imagined. That's what he meditated day and night. And this scripture says, if he had have gone back and started thinking about Ur of the Chaldees and thought, I wonder what they're doing in Ur of the Chaldees tonight, amen. I wonder who moved into my great fancy mansion that I had there. I wonder about all the friends that I left behind. I wonder if they think I'm crazy for doing this. If Abraham had a thought on those kind of things, he would have been tempted to go back on the promises. But, turn this verse around, since he wasn't mindful of the country that he came out of, Abraham never was tempted to go back on the promises of God because he didn't consider those kind of things. Do y'all see that? Boy, that turns me off. That really does something for me. Because, like, let's apply this to our lives. Let's say, for instance, sickness. Did you know the only reason sickness dominates people is because we've been taught so well how to respond to sickness? You've been taught from the time you was a little tiny child that when you get something wrong, you know, immediately start pampering that thing, start giving in to it, start saying, my sickness, my disease. Brothers and sisters, if we were ignorant... And all of that, if you didn't know how to get sick, you wouldn't get sick. I know that sounds too simplistic for a lot of people. A lot of people think, brother, you're just out in left field. You just got your head in the sand. You've been missing the truth. But I firmly believe that based on this scripture. If all you thought was, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. If that's all you thought, Romans 8:6 says, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Spiritual mindedness produces life and peace. Is sickness part of life? No. Amen. Is sickness part of peace? No. Only thing you can have if you're spiritually minded is life and peace. It's all that you can have. If all you think is by his stripes, I'm healed. By his stripes, I'm healed. If that's the only thought that you have, if that dominates you day and night, then all you can be is by his stripes healed.
0: Right. Amen. As
1: a man thinks in his heart, so is he. But you see, Satan hits you with the pain and immediately you think, oh no, Heart attack. And you begin to think, Oh, my dear Aunt Susie died of heart attack. It runs in the family. I knew this was coming upon me. And you start thinking about things like that, and you think, Oh, man, I'd be dumb if I don't go to the doctor over this thing. I better go get something done. And you start seeing yourself fall over dead, and you start rushing to the hospital. Now, if that's what you've thought, boy, you're hurting for certain. You better go to the doctor, because you're in trouble. But if the first thing comes to you... You know, I wonder what that is. By stripes, I'm healed. Amen. Do you know, I had a pain, I think it was either last night up here. I don't know what a heart attack's like. Don't you come bend my ear and tell me, okay? But I had some pains. I had some pains up here last night so that I couldn't hardly sit there with a straight face. But, you know, I don't care what... I mean, it doesn't make any difference. The pain never killed anybody, amen. I just sat there and said, I don't care what it is. By his stripes I'm in. and I think on the Word of God, and that, I don't even remember when it left. It never... You know, it just doesn't bother me. I have things come at me all the time. I'm not immune to Satan fighting me. He, he tries to get things on me. I just don't take any of his opportunities, amen. I don't say I'm taking a cold. I just don't take them. I don't catch colds. I dodge them. Amen. But you see, most of us have been taught so well that when you sneeze, oh, oh, a cold's coming on. When I sneeze, I don't think a cold's coming on. I just sneeze. Doesn't mean you're going to have a cold. If I cough, doesn't mean something bad's happening. It just means I coughed. Amen. Amen. I'm convinced, I've said this before, but I just really like this, that one reason Adam lived to be 930 years old is because that guy did not know how to die. Yeah. <laughs> That's the truth. Amen. Adam didn't know that at 30 he was getting over the hill. Nobody told him that. Adam didn't know that when he got a gray hair, he didn't know it was bad. The Bible says that a hoary head, that's talking about wide-headedness, is a crown of glory if it be gotten in a way of righteousness. Adam didn't know there was anything wrong with that. Adam didn't know that at 60 he was supposed to retire. He didn't know those kind of things. He didn't sit there and say, Oh, well, we aren't as young as we used to be. And when he forgot something, he didn't say, Eve, I must be getting old. I just don't remember as well as I used to. Our children, they forget things all the time, and it's not because they're old. Forgetting something doesn't mean that you're old, but you see, we've been taught that kind of stuff, and if you go to talking on it, and if you go to seeing yourself sick and decrepit and getting old, and if you go to pampering yourself, and if you go to treating yourself like you're getting old, you'll get what you think. Amen. my mother's 69 years old and working for us at least 12 to 15 hours a day and she's not a perfect example because I stay on top of her rebuking her and prodding her all the time <laughs> but I guarantee you she goes out and she'll play games with us roll on the ground we drag her around I mean she doesn't act like she's 69 years old you can't tell it by looking at her because and it's because of her attitude brothers and sisters we've swallowed a lie about that kind of stuff Adam, his children didn't know that they were supposed to get married when they was young and that they was getting too old. They didn't even go out and have a family until they was 300 and 400 years old when they'd just get married and start their family.
0: <laughs>
1: Methuselah lived to be 969 years old. It took a long time for the devil to get across to people that every winter was a flu season. <laughs> a long time for that knowledge to grow and increase Adam didn't know it was flu season you look at America today with all of its great technology we got more knowledge about sickness and disease than any other people that have ever lived on the face of the earth and to some degree it's helped some people There's probably some of you that are here that have been dead if it hadn't been for that medical knowledge but then on the other hand there's more sickness there's more disease there's more varying kinds of sickness and disease today than there has ever been guess why because sickness is talked, more people think more sickness, and as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Amen. The Bible says out of Romans 16, it says to be wise concerning that which is good and simple concerning that which is evil. We are wise concerning that which is evil. Everybody in here can tell me all of the terrible signs of cancer. I don't know what the signs of cancer are. Don't come tell me, because I'm not going to go to receiving it if I get one of those signs.
0: Amen. Amen. the Lord.
1: But if you know all of that kind of junk... And then some symptom comes across your path. What that's going to do is trigger your knowledge, your carnal knowledge, your worldly knowledge, and it's going to give you opportunity to enter into fear, to enter into doubt, do all that. Man, I don't have those opportunities. Amen? Because I wouldn't know how to get sick. It's been so long since I've been sick, I don't know how to get sick. Our kids don't know how to get sick. They have never been pampered. When they, when Satan has fought them, we don't allow them to lay down. We don't smooth their fevered brow and let them suck soda waters and, and wipe all the of perspiration off their fevered brow and make it fun for them. Man, when Satan fights them, I guarantee you, we get them up, drag them around the house until they start acting well and say, You're healed in the name of Jesus, and we make them act well. And our kids have learned to hate sickness. They don't play sick. Amen. And they hate sickness. And did you know that as a result, like last um I forgot when this was, but we, we held a meeting in uh well I guess it was last August when we were here with Joan A. I think it was. We held a meeting here in Lima and then we went to uh Sioux City, Iowa. And the day we left Lima, going to Sioux City, Peter woke up, and real early that morning, he threw up, and he threw up two other times during the day in the van while we was traveling. But it was funny because, I mean, Peter would just be going 90 to nothing, playing, running his cars up and down the aisle. He'd stop and throw up and then just go right back to playing, boy. I mean, you could tell that the devil was fighting him. You could tell something was wrong, but Peter, I mean, it doesn't make a lick of difference to him. It doesn't, you know. He doesn't believe in sickness, and he'd get up and go, and you say, are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Man, just let me out, and we'd open up the band door, and boom, there he'd be out playing. And you could tell three times Satan tried something on him, but it was over with. The next day everything was fine. We still don't know what it was because you see all it was was just an opportunity and we don't take the opportunities. Amen. 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 He doesn't have knowledge. But I guarantee you if he'd have done that and all of a sudden fear would have hit him and he'd have come, Oh, Daddy, what's wrong? And if he'd have gotten discouraged and if he'd have said, Oh, I can't get up and play today. I'm feeling bad. And if he'd have gone to acting sick and gone to thinking sick, he'd have had it. you all see that. Amen. that's what the scripture is saying that if you were mindful of the country you came out of or if you were mindful of something that is contrary to God's promises you will have opportunity to do those things but on the other side of that coin if you aren't even mindful of anything other than the promise you will not be tempted I don't ever think sickness so therefore I'm not tempted with honest I don't, I don't even have to fight off sickness I walk in divine health, and that's better than divine healing. I just don't get sick because I don't think sickness. It's not a part of me. I don't listen to that kind of junk. You know, our kids, we watch the news every once in a while. Now, we don't watch it much, but when we do watch it, we at least counter the junk that comes across it. And when they come on and say, "Anison has a higher level of pain reliever than something else, our kids, every time they see something like that, they'll say, Jesus has a higher level of pain relief. <laughs> Amen? They'll immediately plug Jesus in for everything. They aren't going to give Aniston the credit for doing what Jesus can do. Amen? I mean, everything they do relates to Jesus. And as a result, we walk free from that. I'm not saying we don't get tempted. And there's times we have to fight some things off. But I tell you, it's very seldom. Amen. We have opportunity, we just don't take them. Let me show you something else down here about Abraham. This really blessed me. When Abraham offered Isaac his son as a sacrifice, I said, Lord, if what I've got is greater than what Abraham had, how come Abraham was willing to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice? And I tried to be honest with God, and I said, I just wouldn't kill Joshua or Peter. I said, if you told me to do it, I honestly wouldn't do it. I tried to be honest. I said, I'm not trying to be rebellious, but I said, I just can't see myself doing that. And I said, how come Abraham was willing to do it, and what I've got's greater than what Abraham had, and yet he's willing to do something I'm not? Now, I don't know if you ever thought that way or not, but I think that's healthy to think that way. And I began to ask the Lord, and the Lord showed me the answer right here out of Hebrews chapter 11. It says in verse 17... By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. I saw a movie one time about Abraham offering up Isaac his son, and... and um, Abraham was doing something and God called out to him and told him to go offer Isaac, his son, as an offering. And in the movie, it showed Abraham turning towards the wall and, I mean, getting his fist and just ramming it into the wall and crying and yelling, Oh, God, no, not Isaac, my son. And it betrayed all of the grief that he had and the misery and it showed him all night long wrestling with God and crying and bawling and squalling, going through this tremendous agony about how could I offer up my son? And then in the morning, he finally just... You know, drew on the courage on the inside of him and went against all of his feelings and went on his way. And that's kind of the way that I had it pictured. But this right here shows it just the opposite. The truth is, Abraham never one time thought about his son being dead. Amen. It's the same principle. When he was promised. Isaac, he never one time considered his own body, now dead, nor yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19 says, he was accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Abraham, the reason he was so bold to do this is because Abraham... For the year before Isaac was born, considered not his own body, nor yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, all he considered was the word of God, so shall thy seed be. He had that promise God gave him so big in front of him that it overshadowed every feeling and every emotion. He wasn't tempted to go another route because he had God's word there. All he was thinking was spiritually minded, so the only result he could get was life and peace. And then after Isaac was born, all he could still think of was that. That promise. See, Isaac was only the seed, but he wasn't the final product. There were supposed to be entire nations come out through Isaac. And so he kept that promise in front of him. Isaac was approximately 17, 19 years old right here when this happened. And for that many years, Abraham had not been thinking anything except the promise that God gave him that in Isaac, you are going to have entire nations come out of him. Abraham had dominated himself for at least 18 to 20 years. He had done nothing day and night but meditate upon the word of God. The only word he had was, so shall thy seed be. He dominant meditated on that for 20 years. Can you imagine how strong that guy was? Stronger than horseradish, praise God. I mean, he just meditated on the Word of God. And it says that he accounted that God was able to raise his son up from the dead. In other words, if Abraham had a thought the way I thought, he couldn't have offered his son either. If Abraham had have sat down and have pictured himself saying, God, but I can't see my son dead with the blood, the life running out of him. God, how could I put my knife into him and kill him? How could I tell his mother what had happened? How could I stand the grief of being without my only son, the only one that I love? If he would have thought like that, that would have been such a strong hindrance to him. Abraham couldn't have overcome it. But Abraham accounted that God was able to raise him up from the dead. He had the promise so real in front of him, all he could think of is... Well, praise God. If God wants to offer him as a sacrifice, he must going to be raising him from the dead. All, see, he just had a positive attitude. All he could think is, well, I know this is my seed, and through him there's going to be entire nations come, so he's got to live. This is going to be exciting to see what God does. Glory. Can you see why Abraham is so strong? It's because his thought life was disciplined. He thought upon the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, the same thing applies to us. It's not that faith is hard. Raising the dead isn't hard unless, unless the knowledge that's on the inside of you is associating yourself with the other people, with the world. If you think like the world does, if you think, Lord, I'm only human, I'm just a man. You ever sing that a one-believing song? <coughs> One day at a time, sweet Jesus, is all I'm asking of you? Lord, you know if you're looking below, it's worse now than then. What a dumb song. If he's looking below. Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. That's not true. But if you think you're only human, and if you think I'm just a man, what can I do? I guarantee you, although the life of God's on the inside of you, it'll never get out, because a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you associate yourself with the world, and if you look at yourself as being just as incapable of doing the miraculous as the world is, then you'll be just as incapable of doing the miraculous as the world is. But if you turn that around, and if you begin to think, no, sir, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Right here, I'm wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. Amen. Here's the fullness of the Godhead, dwelling bodily in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. He that spared not his only son, but gave him up freely for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You begin to think that way and get a superiority attitude on the inside of you, amen? Superiority not over people, but over the devil, over sickness and disease. When you begin to start seeing who you are in Christ Jesus, when that's the knowledge that's on the inside of you, I guarantee you, you'll rise up and you'll, your first reaction, if somebody fell over dead, your first reaction ought to be, praise God, an opportunity for Jesus to live big on the inside inside of me and you can do that if you've been meditating on who you are and who God is in you but if you've been thinking oh woe is me oh I just am a poor ungodly thing and I'm so weak and I'm so inadequate and if you're sitting here listening to the junk that the world says if you you know things like people talking about the economy it's negative brothers and sisters you may not be sitting there shaking your head, yes, but I promise you the Bible says out of 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. A person that thinks that you can listen to doubt and unbelief and be unaffected, you are deceived. And let me put in a good plug right here. For those of you that are in a doubt and unbelief church, and you're listening to doubt and unbelief because you're going to stay there and win them over, you're deceived. Amen. 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 And all of Jim's church clapped.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm not saying that to be hard on you. You can stay in that old doubt and unbelief church if you want to. And if you live through it, it'll be a great testimony. <laughs> to see brothers and sisters evil communications corrupt good manners they don't have to be necessarily speaking against faith and speaking against something it's just that negativism is diametrically opposed to positivism if you listen if you listen to people on your job run down the president run down the politician if you listen to them sit there and say all oh, those old mullet heads in Washington, those old, you know, and run them and say all these nasty things about them, and I know every last one of you is probably exposed to that kind of stuff. If you let that kind of stuff go on around you, it is negativism. It is death. The Bible says out of Proverbs 18:21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and them that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Now, we've applied that basically to what we say. You can either speak life or death out of your mouth. Amen. That you're snared by the words of your mouth. Those things are true, but did you know it also goes true for other people? Yep. Every word you hear from other people, it is either life or it is death. There is no in between. It's not just a matter of you getting your conversation straightened out. What are you listening to? Amen. Are you listening to the doubt and the unbelief of other people? Are you listening to them run down the president, which the Bible says that we shouldn't speak evil of the ruler of our people. We ought to pray for him and lift them up. Amen. Amen. If you're listening to that negativism, brothers and sisters, it'll affect you when it comes time for healing because you've been listening to death out of somebody's mouth. It's a hindrance to you. It's a negative force, and faith's a positive force. A lot of people don't associate the two. But I guarantee you, you listen to, you listen to somebody, just put down somebody over here, and then it comes time for you to believe God, strife opens up a door to every evil work. It'll come in, and it'll eat like does a canker. Amen. We've got to begin to purify our thought lives, brothers and sisters. You know how to get rid of that negativism when people go to running down the president? They go to speaking something bad about, all oh, that Reaganomics and go to bad-mouthing. Now, I'm not a total Reaganite. I don't care for everything he does, but I guarantee he's my president. I'm not going to go to speaking against him. I'm for him, and I'm praying for the guy, and I'm not criticizing him. Hallelujah. I'm praying for the man. Glory. And you know how to stop that? Somebody goes to running him down. You don't have to be mean. All you got to do is say, well, praise God. You know, I believe just like Second Timothy chapter 2 that I'm praying for the ruler of my people, for kings and for all in authority, that I may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all honesty and godliness and sincerity, which is in the sight of God of great price. And I believe that God's changing anything that you don't like. And I believe God's changing. Tra- you start confessing faith and positivism, and I guarantee you, those people will either repent, and you'll get an opportunity to witness, or they'll leave. Amen. They won't dump their trash in you anymore. Do you know, when I pastored a church, one of the biggest problems in churches... Jim hadn't told me anything about this church, okay? So don't think I'm reading your mail or preaching something I was prodded to preach. I'm just saying I know people, and I have pastored three churches. One of the biggest problems in churches is whisperers, talebearers, people that repeat matters, and that go around saying this and getting on the phone, gospers and things like that. And the way we deal with that, dealt with that in our church was we just told them that if you wouldn't be such a good listener, they wouldn't bring their trash to you. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I gave the illustration that if you'd put your trash can lid, they'd go to one that didn't have its lid on to dump their trash in. (laughs) And I used to, when I'd preach that, I'd say, when somebody comes around and wants to badmouth somebody, just put your lid on like this. And our whole church was aware of it, amen. And so anyway, as a result, one time this lady, she had just a run-in battle with me and she did everything she could to speak about me. And this man was out on his rounds and he came in to have coffee with her and she started bad-mouthing us. And he tried to counter it and be positive. She just got worse and worse and finally old Kenneth just goes like this and walks out the door. <laughs> <laughs> got his point across, praise God. And did you know that never, 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 after that time did they ever try and dump their trash in him why because people like somebody that's gonna like what they've got to say when somebody's down and complaining and kicking Jim they want to go to somebody else that's gonna like what they've got to say and jump in and say bro that's exactly the way I feel isn't that true Amen. And I guarantee you it's the same thing on the job. You go to standing strong, you don't have to be mean about it, just stand your ground. And I guarantee you, people will go out of their way to avoid saying that death around you. They'll be convicted of their own conscience. I've seen it happen so many times. Like I was out playing basketball with some kids one time, and they were just cussing every other breath. Now some people, that may not mean anything to you, but brothers and sisters, I don't like that. That's death they're speaking out of their life. I mean, out of their mouth. And I didn't like it, so I wasn't mean about it, but every time they'd go to cussing, I'd go to saying, Hallelujah! Praise God! Glory to God! And after a few times, they just looked at me like, What are you doing? And I said, Well, I get equal time. If you're going to praise your God, I'll praise mine. And every time... (laughs) Amen. Amen. And it turned the situation around. And those kids started saying, praise God, every time. Now, they may have been mocking. I don't know what they were doing, but I wasn't listening to death. Amen. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.